Hi there. I'm Brett. He's Greg. It's Friday. Were you hoping I was going to say hi for the first time in 13 weeks? I don't know what I was doing there. I was. <laughs> Are I was you okay? Googling. You had some Benadryl before we came on the air. I want to give you the out here because you just about hit me in the head with a chair. Not on purpose, although I wouldn't blame you for hitting me in the head on purpose. Well, I, I, I made sure there was clearance. Yeah. And, and then you stumbled on your way out of here as if, you know, if you need to go home, we can bring TFJ in here and, and we'll, you can uh, go Don't home. Don't give me an excuse to leave. <laughs> <laughs> your allergies are acting up, aren't they? Yeah, they that they, means a lot of people are going to be dealing with that right now. Yeah, mine are acting up and uh, a couple of other people in the, in the newsroom. So I popped a Benadryl. I like Benadryl because it works fast, but it's, and it says right on the bottle, can cause extreme drowsiness, so I'm a little sort of stumbling around here, like uh, as though it's a Friday night. Just stay away from the heavy equipment, Brett. Stay away from the heavy equipment. I will indeed. Uh, Manitoba Hydro, the big story of the day. Surprise, surprise, Brett, you're a news veteran, that this news would come out on a Friday. Yeah, they like to, to do this stuff on a Friday, but they still did it early enough that it would get some attention. A lot of times... If uh, they call it a document dump Friday, I think is the term that sort of gets bandied about amongst journalists. And a lot of times that sort of stuff gets dumped on like at like 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon in the middle of the summer. So the fact that they did this early on, I think it was about 1130 when we started to get word of this. We'll give them credit for that. I think so. Here's the announcement. Manitoba Hydro files general rate application with PUB or the pub or the public utilities board. Utility requests 7.9% increase in each of the next two years. And as I mentioned with Jeff, that's in the sub headline, but the one to second paragraph in the news release says the utility's long-term financial plan includes a total of five years of 7.9% rate increases starting in 2017, after which it projects much lower increases of 2% annually. So here's the request. Confirm the previous 3.36% rate increase approved by the pub on an interim basis in 2016, an interim 7.9% rate increase effective August 1st, 2017, and then an additional 7.9% increase effective April 1st, 2018. We are scouring websites. We're getting a multitude of information trying to calculate what does that mean to the average Manitoban on your bill? What are you paying on your bill? How much more will you be paying? And the consensus and the data seems to suggest that the average Manitoban, once again, this may not be you, consumes 1,000 kilowatt hours per month of electricity. That translates into an annual bill of just over $1,000, $1,045.44. This 8% rough increase will translate into an extra well, a $94 bill from $87 a month in 2018 to a monthly bill of $101 if you're paying roughly $87 now in 2019. And by 2020, that $87 monthly bill for electricity, if you're using 1,000 kilowatt hours per month, will translate in a, into a $128 monthly obligation to Manitoba Hydro. So it's a substantial increase without doubt. And it's a lot of numbers to, to sort of hit you with here, and, and it is, it's hard to do a story like this without giving you some of the numbers. Bottom line, Hydro wants 
to increase your bill by 15% over the next two years. So on average, that's going to bring up your bill by about 7 bucks a month on average. So like someone like myself who lives in an apartment, a small apartment, just one person, I pay like 40 bucks a month. And in the summertime, it goes up to about 60 bucks because I plug in my portable AC unit and that takes up a lot of power. But otherwise, it's about $40. So it probably, it'll probably put mine up by a couple of bucks. I now, you imagine. mentioned to me that you're pretty conscientious mm-hmm. to a certain extent of how much electricity you use. Is that because of the cost or are you just a good guy? Why do you pay attention to what lights are on and off and when? Well, I, I think it's it's partly driven by cost, but it's also partly driven by waste. I've just I've never understood if you're not using a room, you don't really need the lights on unless you're doing it for for safety. Let's say, for example, you have a, a I don't know, you want to leave a light on in your living room at night to perhaps deter thieves. Fine, but if you're you know just walking around the house, flipping lights on, going into a room, grabbing something, and then leaving, turn the light out. There's no need to leave it on. So when I'm at home watching TV, I don't need my kitchen light on. I don't need my bedroom light on. I don't need my hall light on. I, I also like darkness. I'm kind of a, <laughs> I'll just be. I'll just put it. Well, that's like, working I'm kind in of your weirdo. favor. That's working in your favor now and into the future. Apparently, we'd love to hear from you. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Is this a long time in coming? Is this about time that Manitoba Hydro started raising rates? I know that'll be the contrarian view for sure. But there are those that feel as though Manitoba Hydro uh, and its lowest rates in the country, comparable to Quebec. Uh, in terms of fighting it out for the lowest rate. Some people genuinely feel that they have been too low and it deters any sort of conservation for a lot of people because it's cheap enough, you don't need to worry about it. Is this going to change your habits? Uh, Solar electricity and solar power is something that we've talked about on this program in the past. And in fact, it didn't take long for someone in the newsroom to suggest that maybe it was time for them to consider adding solar to their options in terms of power electricity in their own house. Dave is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Dave, what do you think? Hi, gentlemen. Just wanted to chime in. Um, If they're doing an increase at 7.9% in August, an additional 7.9% in April, isn't that more like 15% in a seven-month period versus a two-year period as advertised? Okay, let me try. And this is why this is why numbers are tricky on the radio, right? Because we and have. This is why we're working the numbers behind the scene. And Dave, you might be exactly correct on this. So uh, let's uh, let's get somebody to work that out because I think you bring out uh, bring up an outstanding point, and I think you might be exactly right. Uh, any other thoughts on this? Is electricity something that you worry about conserving? Uh, it is. We have uh, switched to all LEDs in our uh, house, and. Uh, Although we do have cheaper rates in Ontario, we're not at the point where we've got to, you know, make sure you do the laundry and wash the dishes and at night and stuff. And we don't have the off-peak and peak hours mm-hmm. where the peak hours are double that of the off-peak um, based on usually Monday to Friday uh, business hours. So in that respect, we're lucky. But I think trying to say that a 15% increase in two years, unfortunately, in this aspect, they might be off by a year and a bit there. That sure sounds like 15% in 
in about a seven-month period to me. Dave, uh, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Sounds like you've got some knowledge of this and you pay close attention. Uh, an informed listener, informed caller, our, our favorite type. Yeah, and I think he's right. If they, they're looking, so just to, to reconfirm what it is, they want to confirm the previous 3.36% increase that was approved by the PUB on an interim basis back in 2016. They want an interim 7.9% rate increase as of August 1st of this year, and then another 7.9% as of April 1st of next year. So, yeah, I mean, I guess from August to April. Certainly. You'd be looking at that. Uh, Jason said, come on, Greg, you're a borderline mathematician. Uh, not Harley, but thanks for the uh, for the vote of confidence, Jason. I appreciate it at 780-6868. Bill says, uh, try a person with electric heat. My cost now is over $200 per month average all year. Add 15 or 30% to that. Bill, you fall into the category of individuals that use, based on what you're using right now, about 2,000 kilowatt hours per month. Uh, those are customers that heat their home with electricity and, of course, need electricity to run all the other things that you would. The 2017 baseline monthly payment for someone using 2,000 kilowatt hours is 166.42. So, Bill, I guess you're using just a little bit more than that. And you're right. Your bill would go uh, 2018 uh, if you're paying 166 now to 179, almost 180. In 2018 and 2019, that 166 turns into 194, and by 2022, that 166 turns into $244 a month. So it's a dramatic increase for an awful lot of people, and it's about 30% of Manitobans that heat their homes with electricity. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. We want to know what you think about the fact that Manitoba Hydro has filed for these general rate applications. Bottom line is they want to increase your hydro bill by 15%, basically by April 1st of 2018. 204-780-6868 is the number to call, the number to text. You can email gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com. Your forecast is next. I'm Brett. He is Greg. We're talking about Manitoba Hydro. They want to increase your hydro bill basically by just under 20% by April 1st, 2018. We want to know what you think about this. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Phone lines are jammed. We'll start with Kevin. Hey, Kevin, what do you think? Afternoon, guys. Enjoy your show. Um, As I drive around in my electric car, I'm thinking, oh, the price of fuel is going up. Um, something that is always been historically price difference wise for energy is uh, central gas before when they were central gas on their own, but the price of natural gas and the price of electric has always been 10% apart. And now that this, uh, now that we're going to see the increase in hydro, I'll bet you the gas price of natural gas will be followed very shortly if this gets approved. Yeah, you know, you make an interesting point. The difference between natural gas uh, and electricity, though, is we pay for natural gas based on the uh, the growing rate, right? Uh, versus it's an internal market in Manitoba, and we create the rates and uh, the, the price structure here exclusively. And so natural gas has been in a dip big time. Whether Manitoba Hydro sees this as an opportunity to expand natural gas services or, as you say, bump up the price, uh, will be very interesting to see. Oh, transportation costs, compress, you know, uh, the compressor stations, they chew up a heck of a lot of power. 
Absolutely. You see that compressor station down by Old Chain there, and a lot of big high voltage lines go to feed that thing. And sure, they'll they'll incorporate the cost of moving the gas around in with that. But anyway, those, that's my two cents. Thanks, Thanks for Kevin. Listening on the side of your guys. Bye. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Kevin. John is up next. Hey, John, what do you think? Yeah, the uh, two contracts that they made uh, with the uh, one with the Americans and uh, at three and a half cents a kilowatt, that should be revisited uh, so that uh, they will be paying at least uh, at least twenty cents a kilowatt rather than three and a half cents. And they have not said anything about the Saskatchewan contract that they made uh, about a month ago, a month or a month ago. This has not made been made public. You're, uh, John, you're saying that there is a contract been signed with Saskatchewan. That's what the the newsletter said uh, that came in in with the bill. I'll be interested to uh, investigate that. Thank you, uh, John. Appreciate that. One uh, guy who reads all the stuff that comes with his bill. I'm I'm proud of him for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I will be the first to admit when I crack open any sort of bill, I look at the bill and I just chuck the rest. Lloyd is up next. Hey, Lloyd, what do you think? Hi, guys. How's it going? You're good. Well, doing sir. good, Lloyd. What's your thought? Absolutely outside in your parking lot here right now. Uh, anyways, the hydro thing, um, we're going to have to pay it. we we got no choice on it. It's going to go up. Uh, where the money's going to come from is the big question. And for me, it's going to come out of charitable giving. Um, that's the only line item i got in my budget that I've got a lot of flexibility on, and it's going to come out of there. That's an interesting point, Lloyd. You you, you bring up a good one uh, when people make cuts, uh, just like government, right? That seems to be where they start, uh, the things that are, are fringe, and uh, some people see them as optional, and uh, that's that's an option in your point, right, Lloyd? It's discretionary, and i got to come up with the money. I'm out in the country. I'm all hydro. I'm paying 269 on the monthly budget time, so you know, you take a 20% increase on top of that. i got to come up with the money somewhere. Thinking of any alternatives, Lloyd? Um, not off the top of my head. That's the easiest for me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and uh, thanks for uh, popping by the station, figuratively and literally, apparently. Well, look out towards the north. I'm right out here. I'm waving at you guys. Have a good day. <laughs> right on, partner. Thanks, Lloyd. I'm, I'm looking. Do you see him? I don't. I'm, uh... I'm going to go say hi to Jim in the meantime. Brett's okay. looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jim, what's your take on this hydro increase? Well, my take is uh, 100% this. Um, we've, uh, to everyone out there who supported the NDP for 16 horrible years, um, this is just a matter of now, now we all have to pay. Um, you can't, like Jeff Courier said, you can't use a public utility of the size of Manitoba Hydro as your own personal piggy bank um, and, and expect one day to have to pay the price. The NDP government not once had a balanced budget. Not once did they ever uh, do anything to promote a, 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 a positive outlook business-wise for this, uh, for this province. And this is just one of the many things that it's going to finally have to be corrected. Thank God we don't have an NDP government anymore. Um, yeah, no, I blame it 100% on the uh, the NDP government. I mean, and, and everybody here who, anybody in this province that uh, favored them as a government compared to the Conservatives, well, they better not have anything bad to say about this because this is all the NDP is doing. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I, my opinion, this is another example of how hydro was politicized for so long to increase jobs, increase employment, and also uh, to use the dividends, as they do in a lot of other provinces uh, for crown corporations, go back into general revenue. But this idea also of of tying 
hydro rates and MPI rates into the whole cost of living and working this formula and saying we'll be the cheapest place in Canada to live. You can't do stuff like that. You got to follow the market. And now we're paying for that too. And almost and just looking at what the, what it's going to cost for going up the left side of the lake as opposed to the right side. What is it? Another nine hundred million dollars more. It'll be more than that by the time it's all done, Brett. That almost seems criminal to me. Mike is at two oh four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hey Mike, what do you think? Well, um a lot of your cutter callers have kind of already expressed what I was thinking about. But when we charge hydro, when we sell hydro to various jurisdictions like you, you touched on it where, you know, we said we create the internal price. So just like anything else, maybe we're going to have to revisit and maybe surcharge to incorporate cost of inflation in their contracts. Now, I don't know the stipulations because that stuff is never given to the public for us to peruse. But, you know, Donald Trump's contract with America, he's renegotiating NAFTA. And if he can renegotiate NAFTA, then I say everything is on the table. Definitely hydro hydroelectricity, which is the U.S. Uh, Mike, we're losing you there, but I, I like the way you're thinking. Uh, if NAFTA, bottom line, if NAFTA is renegotiable, so is a hydro contract between Manitoba Hydro and Northern States Power or Wisconsin Power, uh, whatever corporations they have uh, contracts with. I would have a hard time disagreeing with Mike on that one. We'll see if we can sneak in one more call here before Global News at one thirty. Hey, Burton, what do you think? A uh, long-time listener, long-time talker. <laughs> what we got to do is uh, we got to get a hold of the premier. This is nonsense. The careless management, overbuilding. It's just uh, we're going to have Ontario prices and people are going to be turning the switch on and off and there's going to be no power. So all of us in Manitoba have got to get a hold of the premier and they got to do something. They got to fix management in NDP. I mean, fix management in hydro. And we got to put a stop to this before. Senior citizens that live in their home are not going to be able to turn their lights on. And this is a serious matter. And we got to start screaming because if we don't, they're just going to keep raising the rates. All right, Burton. Thank you so much for the feedback. We do appreciate it. Kurt, Mike D, and Rick, stand by. We have to pause for Global News at 1.30, but we're going to carry this conversation into the next half hour on Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Flamingos, cougars, and bears in Transcona. Sorry. Yeah, that's a sorry, Brett. Yeah, yeah, that's what people are thinking. I'm just talking out loud. Uh, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, with you on this Friday afternoon. It's it's glorious. Brett's mad at me now because I took a shot at Transcona. No, but, it's it's. Uh, I thought you were above that kind of no, foolishness. Not always. Uh, phone lines are jam packed uh, with uh, comments on Manitoba Hydro. If you're just tuning in and you missed Brett's news just a few moments ago, Manitoba Hydro files a general rate application with. The Public Utilities Board, they're requesting a 7.9% increase in each of the next two years. As one of our first callers, I think it was Dave, pointed out, it's not even as of August 1st uh, in the next two years. It's August 1st this year and then April 1st next year. So that effective rate of increase uh, is even more than 7.9% over the next calendar year. Uh, Anyway, it's a lot. We're getting your feedback on talk and text. Let's go back to the phone lines. Kurt is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Kurt, what do you think? Yes, uh, good afternoon. It's it's a great topic, and uh, many points are coming out. Uh, Number one, uh, uh, I'm not sure now, would the natural gas part of it also be increased by the same amount? 
no, natural gas was a separate entity uh, within your bill, and it needs to be applied for separately uh, for an increase or, or change in any rates. Okay. The other thing is, I think there should be a moratorium on any performance uh, uh, payments made to the executive, whatever, uh, until this whole mess can be straightened out. That's going to take a long time. I don't think people should be paid performance, uh, uh, you know, bonuses, etc., for a real mess that they've created. Thank you. And uh, the other thing is, whenever there's meetings, uh, you know, when when they're negotiating with the various parties, etc., there is uh, uh, payments made. There is no track record, no nothing recorded at all. Should be more openness uh, as far as uh, any uh, payments made, whatever, for these meetings to get people to come to the meetings. You know what's Kurt? You know you mentioned meetings, and Manitoba Hydro has a general annual meeting every single year. And I know oh, it was probably a decade ago that my uh, grandpa said, "You know, I went to that general an- annual meeting for Manitoba Hydro. There were less than a dozen people there." Well, the, the meetings I'm referring to, sir, are are, are the ones that. Uh, they had with the various parties involved to negotiate uh, different contracts, and there was uh, things given out, etc., and uh, whatever to, to encourage people to come to these meetings. And there was no tr- nothing recorded at all. There's no documentation whatsoever. Oh, you're talking about uh, consultations, uh, maybe with northern communities, etc. Exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, it's our money that's being paid out. Why not keep track uh, track of it? Why not go ahead and have it disclosed? Thank you, Kurt. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Kurt, appreciate it. Mike D has been waiting patiently as well. Hey, Mike D, what do you have to say? Uh, For me, it's a little bit different. I realize I'm a minority, but there's going to be a few others for sure. So they're coming at me at two angles. With the hydro thing is one, but on the other side, I I bought a farm a few years ago, not a farm, like an acreage a few years ago, and everything was affordable. The math made sense, but the place heats with coal. So now there's an without question, a, a carbon tax coming that's going to change the cost of that, if not banning coal completely. Mm-hmm. So my alternative is uh, is hydro, and now they're going to raise those rates substantially, which is, uh, which is bad news. And then I look at the alternatives, and they're not even close to affordable, because what I'm going to have to do is either get solar, and enough solar to, to complement uh, what I need to heat my 100-year-old house and acreage properly, Costs about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. I got it quoted out a few times. So that's one hundred and twenty grand for solar. That's right. That's uh, that's for a forty kilowatt system installed. One hundred and twenty thousand. And hydro thinks they're doing me a favor. They have a they they have a plan or not a plan. They have a rebate, I guess. Yes. Which helps, but they're giving you like twenty five thirty grand on that to help. But I mean, it's still ninety thousand dollars out of pocket for me. And then uh, I made the, I made an inquiry. Well, let's just see what natural gas costs to bring that over here. And that they didn't do like firm numbers on. They just did some estimating. But they said the low number was actually the same number, another hundred and twenty thousand dollars to run a natural gas line to your home out in rural Manitoba. That's right. How far are wow. you to the closest uh, community, Mike? I'm within ten miles of uh, of Winkler or Morton or whatever you want to say. Okay. Okay, maybe just uh, run a big uh, extension cord to one of those big windmills in Saint Leon. Maybe that'll be yeah, exactly. cheaper. That would be that would be the idea. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Mike. Sorry to have way. a chuckle at your expense, but it sounds like uh, you're in uh, you're in a little bit of a pickle there, my friend. Well, yeah, for the small guys like me, like it's not a farm. I'm not making money on the farm. That's just where I live. I wanted to raise my kids off of the Xbox and the TVs and whatever. Right. 
but uh, they're gonna they're gonna run me right out of there. I'm thinking like, and I don't know if anyone's gonna want to buy my house when they find out. Like I use to heat the house. There's a small shop and stuff, but it's about four thousand dollars in coal a year, which in hydro at today's rate is about ten thousand dollars a year. Wow, yeah, it's a it's Jeez. it's a it's a it's a lot of money, Mike. Uh, uh, love to hear more about uh, your way of life. Uh, shoot us a, an email, gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. Would love to get in touch with you outside of this as well. Appreciate it, Mike. Right on, guys. You bet. Thanks a lot, Mike D. We'll go now to Rick at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Rick, what do you think? Well, on the call this afternoon. Uh, what I think is, I I hear some guys saying that they blame the NDP. I'm a I'm a PC card holder. Um, but you blame Brian Pallister, okay? You don't go throwing good money down a rat hole, okay? They could have. They hired this Boston uh, consulting firm uh, six months ago or last year, blew five million dollars to say it's a good project. It's it was a project that you know that since they came out with it, they added another two billion cost to it. So now we'd have been down to you know less money. There is no there is no profitability here. Um, not, which I feel like a clown for, and him and his clowns like Blaine Peterson and uh, Ralph Eichler that spoke against the hydro project all through campaign, but they go ahead with it. But then they also, with 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 that, uh, he's going to give you a 1% on your PSD, but he's going to rape you on hydro. You know, my, my parents are retired. They can't afford this. They can't afford 15%. And... Then they abused the people of Manitoba that where the bipole is going through. It, it, the whole thing was a fiasco, and Pallister campaigned against it. Thanks, Rick. Well, Sorry, we're going to let you go, Rick, just because your, your line was cutting out a little bit there, and uh, appreciate your passion on this. And uh, this is going to hit a lot of people on fixed income, without question, uh, particularly hard. We'll take one more call at this. Kurt is at 204-780-6868. What do you think, Kurt? Uh, small business owner, so you want to, like, I'm almost like that poor guy living out in the country. You know, I burn about $100,000 in hydro a year. So to have that type of increase hit me that quick, it's crazy. Like, what's it going to do? It's going to reduce my hiring. What am I supposed to do? Um, and then another point, are they still, do they, as much as I I'd say a small business owner, why are we paying people to use less? You want, you know, go around and picking up used bridges that doesn't make any sense stop that program right now you're selling a product and you're encouraging people to use less and then thirdly all contracts should be renegotiated if they've been written for a set price for more than three years four years that's crazy no businessman would ever do that you know why would you bench yourself into a, a set price for that long of a period of time doesn't make sense and i've never had a problem paying taxes but I sure have a problem what they do with my taxes. Great right. call, Kurt. Great call. Thank you so much, Kurt. We appreciate your feedback and everyone else's at 204-780-6868 on this subject. Hydro looking to jack up your rates by almost 20% really as of April 1st, 2018. Your forecast coming up next. Thank you once again for all your calls, texts, and uh, emails on the hydro rate increase. We'll We'll sprinkle some comments throughout the afternoon on that. Uh, this is a story we were going to bring to you at 1.30. So many uh, negative stories out of the north, out of First Nations in particular. We're inundated with bad news from fires to suicide crises and 
ever ask what's being done to make things better? Well, here's one thing, and Brett and I would like to tell you about it right now. Sergeant Ryan Morasti is the detachment commander of the Shamatawa RCMP fly-in unit, and there's an event happening there, Athletes in Action Basketball Camp, which has been going on all week in partnership with Basketball Manitoba and Volleyball Manitoba. Sergeant Morasti, before we talk about the event, how about you help us out a bit for the geographically challenged, where is Shamatawa? Shamatawa is located in the northeastern part of Manitoba, kind of up in the finger parts up uh, just below the Hudson Bay. Um, kind of, if you go directly east of Thompson, uh, we're just, uh, just below the 56th parallel. So give us a little bit of a description of life there. How many people in that community and, uh, just talk about, uh, the age of the population and the recreational options for kids in Shimadawa in particular. Uh, is a very isolated community. Um, the only ways in are by airplane. Uh, in the winter time, there's a short winter road season. Um, there's approximately 1,400 people that are uh, in the community, according to the stats. Um, quite a few students. I think we have just about 400 kids registered in the school that we had on our school list um, at the time last year, at the beginning of the, of the school year. Um, as for recreational activities or anything like that, there's there's not a whole bunch that happens in the community unless uh, we have events that either local members, the Northern Lights Sports Club puts on, uh, the school with the RCMP. Uh, we try to get out and do as much as we can with the kids in terms of playing games at school or putting on different events that we possibly can. Um, other than that, there is no recreation facilities other than um, one outdoor arena, which is... Um, sometimes pretty hard to maintain. Um, other than that, at this point in time, there's there's no organized sports, no organized sports teams, other than the local high school basketball team uh, at this point in time. What communities does the, the basketball team play against? Well, actually, they don't play against anybody other than practicing. Um, as far as I know, the team did get a chance to go up to Churchill this year. Uh, to play in the the high school zones, um, and that was actually uh, made possible by the Northern Lights Sports Club and the school and the RCMP. We ended up doing some uh, charity drives and uh, doing some events and stuff like that to raise money for the the program to be able to send the kids uh, up to Churchill. Is that something the community really gets behind uh, when something like that, an event, an opportunity like that happens for a, a community team like that? Obviously, it's very limited options as you're outlining for us, Sergeant uh, Morasti. Yeah, the, the the community does get behind it. Um, you got a lot of great volunteers from the school, um, the teachers, um, and the vice principal, uh, especially Riley. Gilbert, uh, who puts a lot of time and effort into making things happen in the community to, to be able to get the school on board, to be able to get the posters out, to be able to get um, in, uh, donations, to be able to get uh, food going or barbecues, um, along with uh, the members here at the detachment uh, who take time out of their personal time to be able to go and just be part of the community and uh, set up these events. Um, when we actually get the stuff out there, uh, people from the community actually support it and come out and they, it, it's an event for the entire community, not just for the kids usually. So it gets people out there and gets people interested. Sergeant Morasti, what's been going on in the community in recent years with uh, suicides amongst the youth? 
it's a very difficult situation with the youth. Um, we have quite a bit of um, abuse issues in regards to the solvents and the, and the alcohol abuse and um, depression. Um, again, with not having, and this is my the way that I see it, being uh, having policed in numerous different First Nation communities and seeing the same sort of thing over and over and over again is when you don't have that sense of anything happening or going on or the kids don't have anything to do, um, they turn to these other options of drinking and, and, and drugs and it makes it very challenging for the community to be positive when there's not a lot of things going on. Um, and I can see a direct relation with that with uh, the youth not having anything to do. Um, so that's why we try our best to to get things for the youth to do on as many nights as we possibly can um, and trying to get the community involved. There's, like I said, not a lot of resources in the community um, and those that we do have, um, we try to utilize as much as we possibly can. Sergeant Ryan Morasti is the detachment commander of the Shamatawa RCMP fly-in unit. We're talking about the Athletes in Action basketball camp in Shamatawa, which has been happening all week in partnership with Basketball Manitoba and Volleyball Manitoba. So Athletes in Action uh, sent up a couple outstanding ambassadors, Jacob Penner and uh, Courtney Engel. This through a partnership between Basketball Manitoba and Volleyball Manitoba, a camp for youth uh, at Shamatawa uh, through until May the 7th. And tonight there's uh, kind of a big deal going on. Uh, the officers of the RCMP are going to strap on, well, not strap on the blades, they're going to lace up to face off against some of the kids. It sounds like a, uh, it'll be an opportunity for uh, folks to uh, to really r- rally around these kids that are involved this, in this camp. Absolutely. And any of the organizations that come in and do these sorts of things is, is a huge benefit for um, getting the kids involved. And uh, as I said before, my members with the RCMP here, we try to do as much as we possibly can when these events are there. We try to make ourselves available um, with our limited resources that we have. Um, Sometimes it's tough to do, but we really try to focus on getting out there and being part of the community when we have the opportunity. Um, We did play the basketball team a few months back, um, and they definitely handed us how good they are um, (laughs) with our members putting on our shoes and not being the greatest of basketball players. Uh, I'm sure we'll get it handed to us again tonight, but uh, it's all fun, and we have a great time doing it. How much of a, a boost do you think events like this provide for the youth who, as you've pointed out, otherwise don't really have a whole lot uh, in terms of a sense of community? It, it's a huge benefit. Um, when I've talked to a few of the kids that are on the local uh, high school basketball team that were able to travel up to Churchill, um, it was a huge sense of accomplishment, a huge sense of pride. I know that they, they lost out um, not being able to win the zones and uh, the one young male was telling me that a few of the teammates were crying and stuff like that because they worked very hard to to get where they were. Um, But they were super proud of themselves because they were able to actually go and compete and be out there. Um, I know that the school is putting on a presentation as well because the vice principal felt it important that, uh, you know, even though they didn't win a banner, uh, they will be getting a banner from the school uh, showing their accomplishments as well. 
give us a sense of the spirit of the youth in Shimadawa overall. It sounds as though they're they're yearning, they really take advantage and are, are looking for more opportunities to interact with one another. And how does something like tonight strengthen the relationship between RCMP and, and people uh, in Shimadawa? There's a great positive rapport that comes from being able to be involved in the community, both from the, the youth being able to get out there um, and, and being part of something um, and, and being proud of it. Um, when they're playing, uh, they, a lot of times they see the RCMP in a negative light because of what we're doing in our positions are, uh, but when they see us in the positive aspects and uh, we get to be part of the community, part of the kids, um, it's, it's hugely beneficial because they know us by name. They know us that they can joke around with us. They know that they can talk to us. Um, so it opens up the, that uh, communication for them to be able to approach us, not just in times of when things are uh, going wrong or going bad, but at any point in time when they come to us to just even have fun or talk to us, they're, they're not afraid to approach us. So it creates a very good trust relationship uh, between the community and, and the RCMP. Sergeant Ryan Morasti, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck tonight. Sounds as though you're going to need it. Absolutely going to need it. And I know I'm going to need some ice packs and some, I wish I had a hot tub up here. (laughs) Thanks, Sergeant. Sergeant Ryan Morasti is the detachment commander of the Shimadawa RCMP fly-in unit again there. There's this Athletes in Action basketball camp in Shimadawa. It's been happening all week in partnership with Basketball Manitoba and Volleyball Manitoba. And tonight the RCMP are going to take on the kids and by the sounds of it, get their butts handed to them. (laughs) Yes, I think they're completely expecting that, Brett. So we're coming up to Global News at 2 o'clock. And after the news, we're going to talk about the spectacular sisterhood of super women. Themyscira, daughter of Hippolyta. In the name of all that is good, your wrath upon this world is over. I'm Brett. He's Greg. That was Wonder Woman, which opens in theaters next month, June 2nd. And the reason why I'm playing a clip from Wonder Woman is we have a guest in studio who has put a book together. She has written a book called The Spectacular Sisterhood of Super Women. Awesome female characters from comic book history. And she is a Winnipegger. Her name is Hope Nicholson. She joins us now live in studio on 680 CJOB. Hope, welcome. Hi, glad to be here. You excited for that movie? Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds um, that you sound uh, sort of surprisingly. It sounds like a fib to me. It, it is a fib. I mean, if you note on my section Wonder Woman, I'm kind of less than super enthusiastic about the character. So uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of, I'll probably watch it, but I'm not super thrilled about okay, it. Okay, well, why, let's get into that right now then. Why are, you not, why are you less than excited about Wonder Woman as a character? I think people put a lot of pressure on her to be the most perfect comic book uh, superhero and like female superhero. And we have so many other options to choose from. I think it's uh, unrealistic pressure to put on her to be perfect. And then she kind of ends up not being anything. Okay. Interesting. There's also been a lot of controversy, uh, not to, to showcase uh, a superhero you're not, superheroine, I should say, that you're not a huge fan of, but there's been controversy about her costume, that her movie costume is too skimpy, leading to the United Nations pulling her as an honorary ambassador. Do you think the costume's too skimpy? I think that it's a costume that makes sense because it's merging some of uh, her classic look with like a more warrior type of look. Um, I wouldn't say it's too skimpy. 
at all any more than any other superhero look is. But I think that's the problem of why she was pulled is that superheroes, female superheroes in particular, have a long history of like really TNA costumes that aren't super necessary. So she's not the worst of the batch, but I could see why people might not like that. And does this highlight your first point about being there being a lot of pressure on Wonder Woman to be all things to all women, exactly. all girls? It can be a lot of pressure. And so no matter what way you go with Wonder Woman, you're going to have a large group of people upset. Um, rather than if we just had more movies about female superheroes, maybe there'd be a lot less pressure and she can be whatever she wants to be. I mean, let's face it, we have a litany of male superheroes who have all sorts of skeletons in their clo- <laughs> in their closets, uh, character flaws, right, to, in their alter egos, or even uh, as a hero themselves. Yeah, exactly. So why does Wonder Woman have to be completely 100% perfect all the time? I like how we you're thinking. We need more movies with different superheroes and then I think uh, we'd be more comfortable. Well, we, there is, for example, uh, Captain Marvel is coming out in the next Eventually. couple of years <laughs> uh, starring Brie Larson. Can you, for those who are unfamiliar with that character, because off the top of my head I wouldn't be able to explain who Captain Marvel is. Can, who is Captain Marvel? Oh, Captain Marvel has such a long history. She's uh, what we call a legacy character. So uh, she used to be called Ms. Marvel and she got her powers from the original Captain Marvel. And uh, at first she was in the 1970s. She was kind of like this really a strong proponent of the women's liberation movement. She made sure to mention that in her comics all the time, which was, you know, sometimes a bit excessive, but also really cool to see that representation. And then she got an alcohol problem and then she had a baby by her own son in a time displaced future. And <laughs> comic books, then man. Then she died, and eventually she became Captain Marvel, and she got a really cool costume, and she saves the universe, and uh, I think she redeemed herself for a for a bad few period of years there. Okay, so uh, for everybody that gives me a hard time about watching Young and the Restless, that storyline would never fly in a soap opera yet. Oh, yeah. In comic books, it's everyday. Superheroes are the ultimate soap opera. That's why they're so, like, interesting to read for so many people. So with, you know, what you would imagine to be a shorter list of female heroines or female superheroes or superheroines, you've really created really what, amounts to an encyclopedia, one volume of an encyclopedia all about these heroines. And the length of list and the number of heroines featured in here is very lengthy. How many altogether? Uh, Well, I do 10 from each decade, starting in the 1930s. So however that many is. So there were some that didn't even make the cut. That's not even all of them. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely like I wouldn't call it an encyclopedia because it's mostly a really biased list of characters I think are really cool to feature. Okay. Uh, So some personal favorites and some others that I'm like more astounded by than that I actually like, if that makes sense. Well, speaking of astounding, there's a character in here that that I just said to Greg, look at this! And I don't even know if I can mention it on the air. Oh, is it the super B-word? No, it's... I can't... What do you think? Can I say it at least? The further... Oh, uh, Pudge Girl Blimp. Yes. She's great. I love her so much. She's probably one of my favorite characters to research for that book. This is from the character from the 1970s. It's Lee Mars, The Further Fattening Adventures of Pudge Girl Blimp. I can't believe I just said that. I'm looking at this and I can't believe that this is a thing. You say that this was one of the most fun things for you to research. Yeah, it was great. Uh, My friend um, Spike Trotman actually heard that I was writing a book about female uh, comic book characters 
and I was struggling to find some examples of really strong uh, female characters from the 1970s. She was like, oh, there's this great underground comic called uh, Pudge Girl Blimp, and I'm like, oh, no, it's going to be so offensive. And I read it, and it's not. It's about a girl who uh, lives in a world where everyone who's fat are actually the secret children of Martians. So it's like this nice thing of like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then she explores like 1970s San Francisco hippie society. And oh, that's why she's, she's naked in, in that picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's a, she's a virgin in the book. And then so the book is really about her trying to lose her virginity. Uh, but then along the way, she discovers new ways to interact with people. And that becomes less of a focus, which is really cool, too. We're talking about comic books. We're talking about superheroines. It's the spectacular sisterhood of superwomen. Awesome female characters from comic book history. A book by Winnipeg author Hope Nicholson. How long did this take you to put together? About four months. <laughs> what? That's yeah. it? Well, uh, it was a tight deadline, that's for sure. Um, so I wrote, tried to study and research and read a different character each day, but um, it was pretty tight. Wow. That's, a, that's incredible because this is a really sharp... It's a nice-looking book, which is on sale now, yes? It's would... on sale. It came out May 2nd, so I'm pretty excited for it. And Hope, you are owner and founder of Bedside Press, one of the fastest-rising stars of the comic book industry. Tell us a little bit more about Bedside Press. Sure. Bedside Press is a small press publishing company I formed two years ago, and I started off just doing 1940s Canadian comic book reprints, and then oh. I started doing new content. So my, my big breakout hit as a publisher was The Secret Loves of Geek Girls. And that was a collection of love, sex, and dating stories from women who are video game designers, comic book creators, and fangirls. Well, let's talk about that. Women and and geek, or geek women, for lack of a better term. Have women always been into geek culture, but maybe just not public about it? Yes, absolutely. So that was the neatest thing about uh, researching comics history. Because I'm like, well, I want to know why, where women were in comics history. And what I found is that even back in the 1930s, they were creating comics. Even back in the 1930s, they were doing fanzines and talking about their favorite comics and meeting up with friends and going to conventions. So all the things that we think are new, no, women were in it from the very start. So what's changed to make it so that it's okay for women to be geeks in public? (laughs) Well, they were okay for a while. Uh, During the 1940s, 1950s, comics were like kind of 50-50, male and female, no one cared. Like, if you talk to your grandparents, they all read comics, whether they're war comics or superhero comics Mm -hmm. or romance comics. What was one of the most popular sections of the newspaper on Saturday? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Comic strips are totally a non-gendered kind of medium. But what happened is that... um, the direct market happened. What that meant is that comics weren't being sold on newsstands anymore. They started being sold in these weird underground comic book shops. And those, to be frank, weren't very comfortable for women to go in. Like even me back in Winnipeg in the 1990s, I hated going into comic book shops to get my stuff. It felt uncomfortable. I felt stared at. There's always like big rows of nudie comics on the wall. So as a child, it was definitely unfriendly. And as a woman, a female girl... Well, that's a lot of words for women, isn't there? <laughs> um, it, it felt especially unfriendly. So I would just usually buy my comics at flea markets and stuff. But now with uh, web comics and digital comics and conventions and movies, like comics are so accessible. It's kind of like the newsstand days again. And everyone's reading comics again. And I think guys were, geek guys were underground for a long time too, though. You know, oh, less yeah. comfortable like, no to come forward. No one wants to get beat up by your friends, whether no. you're a guy or a girl. Well, and it, they would. Is this the big 
Bang uh, theory factor that uh, being a geek is sort of cool, and uh, the whole idea of Comic-Con as being one of the it events on any calendar anywhere, regardless of really whether you really like comic books or not. Like if somebody said, you want to go to Comic-Con in San Diego? It's like, yeah, you got tickets? Let's go. Like, I'd love to go and check it out. I've read like six comic books in my life. Not my thing in any way, but would love to go to Comic-Con. Yeah. I mean, nerd culture is now just pop culture. So pop culture is nerd culture. If you go to a movie at the Cineplex, what are you going to watch? You're going to watch a superhero movie now. Yep. And I think that's great because now I can read my comics and not feel weird or like someone's going to make fun of me. (laughs) Well, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy on Wednesday. It's pretty cool. Oh, you're lucky. So, yeah, it's good. Greg's going tonight. I'm actually going tonight. I'm all in on Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Pratt, my new uh, man crush. (laughs) Okay, we're going to carry on our conversation with Winnipeg author Hope Nicholson. And we're going to ask Hope about the uh, illustrious history of Winnipeg tied to the comic books. When we come back, we were having a little bit of off-air discussion while you were doing the news earlier, and you'd be surprised. Winnipeg's got some huge connections to the history of comic books. All the cool stuff I miss while I'm reading the news. Yeah, Your forecast is coming up next. Geek. The Spectacular Sisterhood of Super Women by Hope Nicholson is the focus of our conversation, as typically happens with our discussions. Brett, we are going kind of all over. We're, we're keeping the main point of the discussion. We're talking about a variety of superheroes, but we're focusing on super women and uh, heroines uh, throughout history. Going back to the 1930s, Hope is a Winnipegger. She is also owner and founder of Bedside Press. And we're talking uh, about this book, but also the incredible connection that Winnipeg has had to the comic book industry over decades, essentially, right, Hope? Yeah, we've been there since the very beginning. Like Hal Foster, who's best known for doing the Tarzan comic strip, he lived in Winnipeg for many years, and that's where he learned how to do art. That's neat. And uh, this, you have, there's an event this weekend that I'm, I'm just mentioning it now because often we, we say, oh, we'll get to this. And then we have like 10 <laughs> seconds at the end to plug this event. So let's plug it right now. Prairie Comics Festival. What is that? So the Prairie Comics Festival is a festival that I helped uh, organize last year. I say helped organize, but that's to, I I organize it, uh, along with the Winnipeg Public Library. And it features a whole marketplace of local comic book creators who do webcomics, zines, graphic novels, and publishers who do the content too. And two full days of learning panels where you can learn how comic coloring is done, how comic layouts are done, what the role of race, sex, uh, and indigenous representation is in comics, and all sorts of fun stuff. What about, I wanted to ask you about the use of the word girl. So Superman, Supergirl, Batman, Batgirl. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, there's also a Batwoman, to be fair. Okay. Um, there is not really a Superwoman. Technically, I think Lois Lane might be a character named Superwoman right now, but I thought that was interesting because in my launch last night, someone asked me about Superwoman, and I had to be like, well, there's never been a Superwoman, and I don't know why. It. I guess it is strange they kind of infantilize uh, female characters. Maybe it's to make them less scary. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the book, by the way, is it available just in one shop? Is it McNally? Where's the launch at McNally? The, l- the launch was at McNally Robinson, but you can buy it at Chapters, Indigo, or if there's any independent bookstores still around in Winnipeg, which I don't think there is, then possibly there. Now you – sorry, Greg. No, it's okay. I just wanted to uh, talk about Captain Canuck. Sure, we can talk about Captain Canuck, another uh, Winnipeg-grown superhero. Yeah, talk about that connection to Winnipeg and, and talk about why maybe uh, Captain Canuck didn't take off when it was a, you said it was a pretty good comic book. 
Yeah, I mean, it it took off as much as it could do, but in Canada, it's really, really hard to produce comics. So um, it started off with Richard Comley, Claude Saint-Aubin, and George Freeman. And I think Claude was Calgary-based, but I think the other two were Winnipeg-based at the time. And they sold the comic across Canada and even to the States. Um, but it didn't manage to last because the density of a population in Canada is so much more spread out than America. American publishers have it so lucky in that they have access to this really, really dense population base. So everything's cheaper to do because you can sell to so many more people. Do they print uh, comic books in one location and then distribute them, or are they printed? And I know that there was uh, at least one major comic book that was colorized in Winnipeg. That was the the role that it played in the production of uh, one comic in particular. Uh, well, I mean, there was a Winnipeg coloring studio that was kind of at the forefront of digital coloring when it started in the 1990s, and that was, um, I think, Digital Chameleon. Yeah, Digital Chameleon was the name of the coloring studio. So it did a bunch of comics. So if you pick up an image comics from the 1990s, it was probably, like, done by local boys. Fantastic. Yeah. I realize it's not the same thing, but I wanted to ask you uh, about the what you thought of the character Ray in Star Wars The Force Awakens. I liked her. I thought she was really cool, yeah. She had a great visual style. Um, She was a very compelling character, and I liked that they didn't force her into a love interest right away, kind of like they did with Luke in the original Star Wars too. Not that I've watched the original trilogy, I must admit. You have not? No, but I've absorbed it from popular culture. Well, I know well, what a Wookiee is. What's the hold up there? What's preventing you from watching those? Well, when the new Star Wars is so good, why do I have to go backwards? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. I know. I'm a bad geek. It's true. <laughs> I'm a bad geek. I Well, yeah, the completest in me just wouldn't be able to, even with the Phantom Menace. Yeah, I, and you I, lost a couple cool points with me, too. I have oh, to Oh, that's admit. fine. I Sorry. wrote a whole book on comic book history. I think I'm good for being no, like I, an authentic <laughs> geek. <laughs> well, the reason why I brought up Ray is because I liked that she was strong, confident, great warrior, and it was never, uh, they never made a, any sort of a big deal that, oh, and, and she's female. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, they didn't need to because they treated her like a real character. And I think that's something that's really great to do. Um, at the same time, if we only have female characters who, you know, can't talk about sex or love or romance, that would limit it as well. But luckily, it's not the case. So do you, where are what is the state of women, female characters in comic books? Is it going in the right direction? I think so. It's getting there slowly, but I think what's really cool is that we have a lot of small press, a lot of indie publishers, a lot of web comics that are doing things that Marvel and DC aren't touching as much. So they're where I'm feeling uh, that the most change is happening, especially with a lot of comic books geared towards like the, the teenage girl market, which is something really cool that Scholastic is doing, and they're making great sales off of. What kind of things are they doing? Uh, Raina Telgemeier does a whole bunch of books for them in particular, um, things like Drama, Smile, uh, and the Babysitter's Club adaptations, and they just always were hitting at the top of the New York Times list back when the New York Times list had a graphic novel category. Oh, okay. Graphic novels, of course, have uh, been a, a huge contributor to the publishing scene. We've got like ne- next to no time left. The biggest thing that shocked me uh, in the last year or so with regards to books, and, and it sort of ties to graphic novels, was Harry Potter. And how absolutely popular it is with girls and young women. It blew me away when they had the big launch at Assiniboine Park, mm. how many women were there. And I think that sometimes we don't realize we associate automatically certain titles, certain books 
with being geared for boys, and it's not necessarily the case. Well, women have always been geared towards um, finding ourselves in male characters because that's what there is mostly out there. I, mm. I wish it was the other case too. I wish more boys read, you know, like Batgirl and Batwoman stuff like that, and were able to look at these really cool female characters and see themselves in them. All right, that's all the time we have. Hope Nicholson is her name. Her book is called The Spectacular Sisterhood of Superwomen, Awesome Female Characters from Comic Book History. It just arrived on store shelves on May 2nd, earlier this week. It's a, it's a really neat-looking book. Uh, you should go check it out. Hope, thanks for coming in today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Global News is up next, and then Dr. Cyrus joins us. It's 2.35. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen joins us in studio. Uh, Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you for another hour 26 minutes or so up till four o'clock and then it's Richard and Julie getting you home until seven o'clock on the news. We want to talk about empathy and the reason why we want to talk about that with Dr. Cyrus, his website by the way, drcyrus.com, is it relates to this Heineken video that we talked about what was that, Wednesday, Tuesday? Tuesday or Wednesday, I don't even remember. The days all blend in together, you know that, Brett. Earlier this week sometime. Let's go with that. We talked about this Heineken video that's been making the rounds over the last couple of weeks. It's uh, this. It's about a four and a half minute, kind of like a documentary, where it's meant to show how people from different walks of life can, in fact, come together to talk about their differences over a beer. Regardless of what one thinks of the ad... Greg liked it. I thought it was hokey. It does beg the question, how, you know, how can we learn or can empathy be learned? Because I think that was the point. The whole point of this was to have some empathy, regardless of what your views are on a, a particular thing. So I guess that's the question where we start with Dr. Cyrus. Mm-hmm. Can one learn empathy? Well, I think the uh, the answer to that is that we're generally born with the ability to empathize. It's very important. Um, and we have the neurons there, but we can, uh, like any other skill, we can lose our way and not practice and people can, uh, can become less empathetic. Um, but when you think about this, I remember watching this, I, uh, watching this video for, I think it's, uh, Tynigan, right? You know, the, yep. yeah. And, uh, I remember it, it's actually uh, basic, like, I think the beer was actually the least important part of the, you know, the social experiment, um, I th- but in the beginning, they were building something together. I don't know if you remember that. I think they mm-hmm. were building a bar. Yep. And they needed each other in order to do it. Uh, they couldn't lift the pieces of the bar alone. And I think they even had some kind of rules or something, things like little specific ways that they were supposed to do it, or they could only stand in certain places. I don't know. I forget it, you know, the details. But I remember they needed each other. And that actually is a is a replication of, uh, of another piece of research. And... Um, that didn't have beer in it and still achieved the same thing. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see these kind of social experiments kind of being used in advertising. Um, but yeah, it's it's actually kind of a proven thing. I think I've said to you on more than one occasion that if you can build a piece of Ikea furniture with a prospective po- partner <laughs> without, you know, coming to blows, you might be on to, to something. And right. uh, this other research that you reference. uh is it, is it a physical project that people work on that that has yeah. them uh, connecting on a different level? Yeah, it's kind of. They had uh, these kids. They did it with kids, and they, um, if I remember correctly, they put them in a camp. I, I forget exactly how, but they made them not like each other. They took two groups. And, <laughs> okay. I won't get into that part. I don't remember that part. It, it probably was interesting. I don't know. But um, they had two groups. They split them up. They, they made them not like each other. And then the rest of the experiment was trying to make them like each other again. And so they tried having them sit together. That didn't work. They had them sing together. That didn't work. They had them eat together. That didn't work. 
Oh, so these, really? these people didn't like each, these kids didn't like each other. They they continued to like try to sit in separate groups when they could. They avoided each other. They didn't talk together. Or when they did, they didn't talk nicely, or just kind of superficially, I guess. Anyway, they didn't like each other. So what they tried next was they it was a camp. So they filled the well with rocks, so nobody had any water. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that wasn't the important ingredient. Uh, thirst didn't do it. But they then had everybody go and take the rocks out, and everybody in the camp was needed to do this. It was a big task. Then they got the bus stuck in the mud and everybody was needed to push the bus out of the mud. And I think there was something else they did that I forget, but you know, a similar task, you know, everybody was needed to work together. And then by the end of that, they liked each other. Interesting. So kind of like Ikea furniture and a lot like building a bar in a Heineken commercial, you know, and then you develop this kind of interdependence where, hey, you know, we need each other, we work together, and it creates liking. So then does that make the idea of maybe breaking bread together or having a beer together, once that has been accomplished, mm-hmm. does that take that social interaction maybe to a different level mm-hmm. to where you can uh, break down some preconceived notions? Right. I mean, nor- like the, I guess it's the, the experiment in reverse. Uh, in this experiment... They, you know, in the Heineken commercial, they did the, you know, the objectionable thing after in the camp experiment, they started with them not liking each other. But still, I think the powerful effect of working together on a common goal uh, creates this camaraderie and liking, you know, and then you see this everywhere in these team building exercises, you know, I think they have these puzzle rooms and things like this, you know, where I remember, you know, when I worked at a camp, uh, they had us have to get over a rope without touching the rope and you had to, you know, everybody had to work together and you gave a plank of wood and everybody's falling all over and everybody had to lift each other. And and by the end of it, you kind of broke the ice and you like each other. And so that's what we see in this experiment. They liked each other and then they found out that they were very different. And then the test, which is interesting, is will they continue to talk after that? And and presumably these aren't just actors and they did. And, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's potentially reasonable. I don't know if it's real or not. Do we know if this was real or if this was just acting? We're still trying to figure it out. There, oh. the, the jury seems to be out. Fair to say, Brett? That, yeah, I haven't found anything official. I believe they them to be actors. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with the ad that inspired this conversation, it's a Heineken ad called Worlds Apart. And, for example, they're, what they do is they interview people at the beginning of the segment and we, we find out what their opinions are about something. So the one guy describes himself as being part of the new right and says feminists are all just a bunch of man haters and women need to remember that they are here to have our babies. And then he gets paired up with uh, a black woman. So they don't actually talk. They don't ask him about race, just about what he thinks about women. So they pair him up with a black woman who is considers herself 100% feminist. They work together. They build the bar. They're getting along. And then they see the video of each other saying these things and they learn, oh, that's what you think. But then they decide to sit down and have a beer and talk about it and get over their differences. And at the end, this guy says, smash the patriarchy. I don't know. I, I, the, like, we're not going to, we've already t- had that discussion about what we think of the ad. Regardless of what I think of the ad, the message is, I like the message. So could the, is the outcome plausible? I think it's plausible. I think just based on that research, I think it's plausible, I, but I think it could be actors. I mean, it's not exactly what the research did. Um, but this idea of working together and needing each other does create liking and, and then there's this test at the end and Hey, you know, it's plausible. Um, 
And but we also don't know, like nothing in psychology is a hundred percent, right? So how many people did they have to run through this experiment? Even if it's real people, how many right. people did they actually run this experiment with? And how many of them actually decided not to have a beer together? So that's the other question. Even if it's not actors, I would doubt that you'd get a hundred percent of everybody wanting to have a sit down and have a beer together after some kind of shocking news like that. But I would agree, building a bar together probably helps. And it, it creates connection and the ability to feel like uh, you're on the same team, which then creates more potential for empathy. Are there people who simply cannot empathize, that they lack the ability? I think that there is an argument to be made for that. I think it's difficult to say that for certain. Um, but I think that there are arguments. There's, uh, you know, anecdotal stories of people with certain types of brain damage where all of a sudden they used to have empathy, they, you know, have certain kind of, uh, you know, brain damage, uh, and then they're not as, you know, as emp- empathetic. And I think so, uh, and then you could, they've even had people who were born and then later on have a brain scan and find out that they are missing a part of their brain and, mm-hmm. you know, and then they find, oh, well, maybe this isn't just a, you know, a character issue. It's actually, a, you know, they're missing a, a significant portion of their of their brain and that might be why they're so extreme on this scale of of lacking empathy um and i think that we also engage in you know certain activities in our life you know where we put things or possessions or money above people and if we continually do that in our life and we devalue people we will eventually become less and less empathic and we will care less and less as we see ourselves hurting people for money as we see ourselves cheating or or getting angry in order to get our way and hurting people's feelings that uh, we'll generally, you know, become less caring as we go. We have to update uh, the weather forecast, and I guess we really can't talk about the weather enough on a day like today, <laughs> but we are having to update the forecast in just a moment. And then I want to ask you about a couple of different Winnipeg-associated uh, projects. One is the Compassion Project from the Catholic Health Corporation of Manitoba, and also something that was founded by a Winnipegger. She lives in Toronto now. It involves babies in the classroom. It's called Roots of Empathy. And I just want to get your take, Dr. Cyrus, on if these sorts of things can be learned and or taught the idea of empathy amongst uh, human beings. It is 2.45, your forecast up next. Craig and Brett with you along with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. Joining us here, drcyrus.com. If you'd like to connect with Dr. Cyrus and uh, Dr. Cyrus, we've been talking about this idea of empathy. We, we discussed the, the Heineken commercial that we dissected uh, earlier in the week and the idea that perhaps two people with divergent political and other views could get together after a little bit of hard work and then reveal their uh, decidedly opposite opinions on certain things may be inclined to sit down and continue talking and and maybe hash some things out. I know that uh, as much as I loved my grandpa back in the day, mm-hmm. he and I were famous for our arguments <laughs> because we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we were capable of discussing our differing opinions, I thought, in a very mm. respectful way. They could oh. get loud and, <laughs> and they could get, uh, from an outsider's perspective, maybe even a little bit nasty. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that uh, mm-hmm. we didn't hold back and right. that we shared our thoughts. Right. Uh, it's not easy to do that with everyone in mm-hmm. your life, to, mm-hmm. to have an open and ominous conversation when you disagree. Uh, what's what's a good way, a good plan of attack for people that would like to have those discussions, but maybe are incapable at the present? 
Well, I think that um, there are ways to work at empathy. And I think that, you know, you mentioned the roots of empathy and, you know, before we took the break and, uh, you know, the, I think that's an interesting, uh, you know, idea. Basically, um, the main ways of, of increasing empathy is, first of all, to get in touch, if you're not in touch, to get more aware of your own feelings. Uh, because I think that, um, I don't have research for this, but my perspective is that the more, um, the part of your brain that's kind of uh, aware of your own feelings seems to be connected with your ability to be aware of other people's feelings. And so often I'm helping people become more aware of their own feelings. Oftentimes people who aren't an empathic aren't really aware of what they're feeling. Um, and then becoming more aware and able to imagine and actually practice, uh, taking the perspective of other people which would be kind of like a cognitive exercise, you know, just taking that perspective. And, um, and then you would probably, once you have that perspective, practice taking action based on it. And oftentimes when we do something, uh, even if we don't feel like it's necessary, but if you practice like compassion, you know, giving things away, doing things for people, it will actually begin to change your attitudes. And that's how you train kids to do this. That's how you train adults to do this. Um, generally speaking, it's easier to train children. So, you know, you start young and you and you begin, you know, imagining these things. And it's amazing how people, when they start imagining, you know, what does this other person think or feel, it can be quite a foreign experience to try to do that, but they can actually do it if they try. Is there ever an instance where maybe having a lack of empathy or perhaps just ignoring your empathy <laughs> could be uh, a good thing? As poor Dr. Cyrus is just uh, having a little bit of a choke here. <laughs> Sorry, man. I don't mean to laugh at your expense, but it happens to us all at the Take worst time. Take some water, Dr. Cyrus. It's all good. Problem. <laughs> it went down the wrong pipe. Yeah, it went down the wrong pipe. Yeah. That, I re, I re, while you're recovering, I'll just quickly tell you a funny story that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. I remember I was with my friend Steve. We're driving around. We were like 18, 19 years old, and we'd stop to get a Slurpee on the Springfield and Henderson, so like just a block east of Henderson. So we go and we get our Slurpee, and uh, we're driving around, and I guess I'm driving. So <laughs> I had to pull the car over because I started coughing and choking. So I'm driving. Imagine you're, you're, you've got a Slurpee in your hand. You're panicking because you can't breathe. I just pulled into the nearest parking lot, which I think was a Fabutan. And I get out of the car and I'm down on the ground on my hands and knees. And my friend Steve, who weighs approximately 120 pounds soaking wet, whereas I was about 220, actually managed to pick me up. He picked me oh up. Oh my goodness! And I, it turns out I think I just had to burp because <laughs> I think I was I had a burp coming up at the same time I took a swig of my Slurpee and they got uh, trapped. You had airlock. Yeah, human airlock. That's exactly what happened. You so, okay, Doctor Cyrus? I, I think my voice is. Yeah, I think it's working again. Fantastic. Okay, there we go. So where were we? <laughs> what were we I was asking something about empathy. I was asking, is it okay or not okay? But are there instances where having a lack of empathy could actually be a good thing? As it, because I'm thinking of there are probably a lot of successful people who get by and don't give a rip what other people think. Oh, definitely. I think that there are times when I'm helping people to increase their empathy. There's also times when I'm trying to help people to decrease their empathy. People with obsessive compulsive disorder, people with significant anxiety, social anxiety, people who are going to war. You know, these are times when empathy isn't usually the most helpful thing. And there is a time, like for example, <clears throat> this is an example I sometimes give to clients is imagine if you're a mother and, 
and uh, you know you're working, you're a surgeon at a hospital, and you have your kid at home with a day, you know, babysitter, and the babysitter comes in, the ambulance comes in, all of a sudden you, your child comes in uh, on a gurney and is in trouble, and you're the only one who could do the surgery because you're it's late and nobody else is around, and you have to do it right away. So you have to do surgery on your own child. It's not a great time to experience a lot of emotion, a lot of empathy. Uh, it's actually good to kind of go a little bit stone cold at that time and put your emotions aside and compartmentalize them, so to speak. And uh, so it's important to be able to disassociate yourself from your feelings and not be empathic, but it's also important to be able to kind of, after the surgery is over, I mean, your hand can't shake, so you got to put all your emotions aside. Then maybe when you go to the locker room afterwards, that's when you can kind of break down and cry. Um, so it's good to be able to shut off your feelings. That's a good skill in certain times. And it's a good skill to be able to come back to them. And I think people sometimes have trouble when they get stuck in one or the other. I mentioned roots of empathy. You touched on it, Dr. Dirksen. And and just a 30-second synopsis, basically what it is, it's a program that's in a lot of schools in North America. It was started by Mary Gordon. She's an ex-Winnipegger now in Ontario. And what it is entails is basically a baby coming to mm-hmm. the school at uh, different times in the baby's life and interacting with mm-hmm. the kids and basically uh, letting them hold the baby, learn about the baby. And it's a program that's really aimed at reducing the amount of bullying in mm-hmm. schools. And it mm-hmm. seems to be having a genuine effect. Well, I mean, when when children are, are doing these things, it's a certain part of the brain. They're, they're engaging their mirror neurons, so they're trying to... Uh, you know, understand another person's perspective. And then when they actually do these nice things, this altruistic behavior, it's very similar. Uh, it actually engages the part of your brain that you is engaged when you eat food or have sex. Like it's a, it's a very pleasure-oriented part of the brain. These things are not unpleasant. They just need to be practiced and developed so that the ch- children can learn, hey, if I do something nice for somebody, that's another way to feel good. I don't have to just feel good by being powerful or mean. Um, so... You know, you want to put children in a position where they're practicing that certain pathway so that they can be rewarded by it. Are they actually learning to crave that pleasure center being Mm -hmm. stimulated? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a very healthy way, just like eating or uh, to actually, you know, uh, you know, learn these things and learn to crave it and feel badly if I didn't get to go volunteering this week or if I didn't get to go running this week or if I didn't have my brand muffin this morning, you know, you can learn to be attached to and look forward to healthy things just like unhealthy things. Uh, we got a text, by the way, Greg, that says, Greg, your grandpa was always right. Shame on your extreme liberal values. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> DrCyrus.com is the website. His name is Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. He is a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. I should offer a quick correction. It was a max where we had bought our drinks. We did. <laughs> so it would be Rothesay in Springfield. Yes, and then I put, and it was the Pizza Hut parking lot that I pulled into in a panic. Which is at Springfield and Henderson Highway. Yes. Wow. That's, Good that's North Kildonan in geography here. <laughs> yeah. it, took me, it was a while since I had gone down that memory lane, so it took me a second to put it back together. All good, man. You, you, you did good. Global News at 3 o'clock is up next. Ever broken a world record or wanted to be a part of a world record-breaking endeavor? Ah, yeah, I think so. Everybody's wanted to... I'm sure I had some dumb idea when I was a kid. That'd be a neat thing to try to set a record for, but... I think I have the Guinness Book of World Records for every year of the 19, like uh, the decade of the 1980s. Oh, yeah? I got that every year as a Christmas present, Guinness Book of World Records. And actually, one thing that I was in 
When I was at Daniel Mac, we were part of the world's longest relay run. Happened here in Winnipeg back in 1987. I think it was in the spring of 87. <laughs> and the number of participants uh, escapes me right now. But it's kind of cool to be a part. I've still got the certificate somewhere in my uh, tickle trunk somewhere. And so <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get out to this one, but we're trying to set a world record of another sort here in terms of participants here in Winnipeg. It takes place Wednesday, May the 10th at Shaw Park. Where we'll find out from one of the organizers and, uh, well, just a good friend of 680 CJOB, Jamie Hall, COO of Safe Work Manitoba. Good afternoon, Jamie. Hi there. How are you guys doing? Doing really well. So what's uh, going on at Shaw Park on well, May the 10th? Well, we're really excited about this. We're going to make Winnipeg history. The um, uh, We had a contest for uh, young people last year, and the winning entry was a proposal from TechVoc High School to break the Guinness World Record for the number of people in a high-visibility vest in one place at one time. <laughs> and so uh, we're thrilled that the Gold Eyes have come on board to partner with us, and they're going to be hosting this at, uh, at Shaw Park on May 10th. Uh, if you come out at 4, four o'clock, the, uh, the first 2,200 people uh, will get free tickets to the exhibition game, and at 4.30 we'll be challenging that world record. What is the current re- world record? The current world record is 2,136 people in a high-visibility vest. It's uh, held by a city in Japan presently. We're hoping it'll be held by a city in Manitoba by the end of next week. And do participants need to come armed with a vest? Yes, uh, we would prefer you come with your uh, high-visibility vest. Now, many people have that in their workplaces. If you're on school patrol, uh, if you're a fire warden in your office building, there's lots of vests accessible. We will have some on hand. We'll have about 200 on hand, but once those run out, we won't have any. And uh, those vests that uh, that we will be providing, those 200, we're going to donate afterwards to uh, the Bear Clan Patrol and to uh, Habitat for Humanity. Where, do, Jamie, while I've got you here, I should ask you this because I've been meaning to go out and buy one for because I like to go for a walk sometimes at night. Where, where can one just go out and buy uh, a high visibility safety vest? You know, nowadays they're very popular, most retail stores, but certainly safety supply stores that you see around. And they're also very inexpensive for, you know, probably $20 or less, you can get your hands on a high visibility vest. And they're just a good safety uh, piece, piece of safety equipment to, to have on hand. And Jamie, you don't even have to get a vest, right? You can get other uh, sorts of apparel, a jacket type thing that has high vis material incorporated into the design. Absolutely. These days you see T-shirts and uh, long-sleeve shirts and, and coats that, that have high-vis in. Now, uh, Guinness tells us, though, for this world record, they have to be vests. Everyone okay. has to be in a high-vis vest that you put in on over your, your clothes. Okay, one more time. Send out the specific invite, Jamie. We want it in your words because uh, we don't want to be responsible for not enough people showing up. So the uh, microphone, the airwaves are yours. All right. I'm inviting everyone to uh, participate in the Invest in Safety event on Wednesday, May 10th. Uh, if, uh, starting at 4 o'clock, you, the first 2,200 people will receive a uh, free ticket to the uh, home exhibition game between the Winnipeg Gold Eyes and the Fargo Moorhead Red Hawks. And at 4.30, between 4.30 and 5 on May 10th, we will be challenging that Guinness World Book record of the number of people in a high-visibility vest uh, at one time. So, Jamie, you uh, you mentioned that this came out of a contest from that TechVoc ended up winning with their entry. How many yeah. entries were in this contest? Do you know? 
Um, there was uh, probably in the neighborhood of a dozen uh, and uh, every year, and, and we're actually, I think, uh, uh, we've just closed the entries for this year, so we're reviewing all of the entries, and it's really exciting to see high schools from around the province that submit different ideas. It used to be a video contest, but we expanded that to any great idea that's going to raise the awareness of safety, uh, primarily amongst young people, and uh, it's very exciting to see those entries. Uh, last year, in addition to TechVoc uh, taking first prize. Uh, we also had one video that won uh, a second prize in Manitoba here, but when it went, on, went on to win the national uh, first place uh, for safety videos produced by youth. So it's a very active contest, and uh, we've seen some great results coming out of it. Now, normally as a graduate of uh, Daniel Mack, I'm prohibited from patting TechVoc students on the back for any <laughs> sort of endeavor, but because they're in the West End and because this is such a great idea, I will uh, break the the moratorium on uh, complimenting TechVoc on anything. Well done, uh, Hornets students. <laughs> if it's any consolation, I believe that video that won first place was from Daniel Mack. Oh, <laughs> really? Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there somewhere online where uh, you can go for more information on this, Jamie? All, all this information you can get at safemanitoba.com. All right, Jamie Hall, COO of Safe Work Manitoba. Thank you so much, sir. Once again, Wednesday, May 10th, 4.30 to 5 o'clock. So tickets are going to be handed out starting at 4 o'clock at Shaw Park. Be a part of Winnipeg history by breaking the world for high high visibility safety vests. The record was just uh, around 2130. 2130. And and remember, you have to bring your own. They'll have a few available, but really to make this work, you you have to bring your own. It has to be a vest, not one of those uh, funky new uh, fleece jackets or something. It has to be a high-vis vest. 2200 is is the goal, and that's really what they need to break the record coming up to 314 which means we're going to check traffic and weather all up next there's a province up in canada that's right next door to ours it's called saskatchewan and uh, in that province there's a small town uh, where nothing much ever happens called saskatoon about that town is called running back to Saskatoon. Burton Cummings and the Guess Who? Second show added. Burton Cummings hum- Homecoming at the Burt itself. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. And uh, this means we've got something special. We've got tickets to give away. We do. We have two sets of tickets. Oh, excellent. For the second show. I don't have the details in front of me. I think Jeff Forche has the details in front of him. Yeah, it's for the second show. That's right. I should have re- written down the details. Okay, well, we want to give away these tickets. It has to do with this song. Aside from Saskatoon, what Western Canada towns are mentioned in the song? There are no Manitoba communities in this song, by the way. There are seven in all. And you must get every single one of them. Wow. Two zero four. 780-6868. The phone lines are open now. Which seven Western Canadian communities are mentioned in Running Back to Saskatoon? You must get all seven to get tickets. We have two sets of two tickets to see Burton Cummings at the Burt. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> 
Well, there's the answers are right there. Oh, oh yeah. I, I see. Bleeping well, out the answers in a very unorthodox okay. fashion. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, that reminds me of a funny story. Can I tell you something here? Please I, do. I don't know if you remember this, but we had an overnight shift at CJOB when I first started here. That was a long time ago. I started here in 2004, and it was May of 2004, and my first shift here was Friday night and Saturday night overnight shift. And the whole point, the the whole reason I was here was to play a music bed to drown out the music that gets played on Coast to Coast. So I had to... I had to hit a button and turn the music up just loud enough so that it kind of muddied the music that was coming through, but not so loud that you couldn't understand what George Nori and Art Bell were saying. Because uh, one of our affiliates in, I think, Toronto got in trouble with SOCAN or something. SOCAN, yep. CRTC stuff, right? Yeah, so they decided to have an overnight shift. Thankfully, it was the overnight shift that ended up really getting me my foot in the door here because I worked those Friday, Saturday that shifts. That was your job was basically to put up the music bed, pull it down? Yep, pretty much. Everything else was automated. <laughs> but since we were doing overnight shifts, because they had just started it, since we were doing overnight shifts and the news was recorded, the boss of the time, Vic Grant, said, well, we might as well have live, let them do it live. It'll be a do great, it live! It'll be a great training ground. So because of that... I ended up started doing evening news on the weekend, and then I ended up filling up for filling in for Bob Irving in the morning sports. So Look at you! All because of thank that. you, CanCon. So that's where what you what you were just doing the da, 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 over yep. top of the mm-hmm. you were drowning out. Mm, I was just like I used to drown out the music on coast to coast. Can I can I give some good? Really good traffic information here, like a good news story. Yes. Starting tomorrow, construction will begin on St. James Street from Portage Avenue to Maroons Road. One lane at a time will be blocked. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's about time. time. We'll live with the traffic jams in the meantime. Yeah, it's probably going to be, it's short-term pain for long-term gain. Still to come this half hour, by the way, or this hour, by the way, we're hoping to talk to Hal Anderson. Of Hal Anderson weekends on 680 CJOB at 335. He's not in the building today, but we're hoping to speak to him over the phone at 335. And while we're waiting for Jeff Forte to get some winners for our contest for the Burton Cummings tickets, you must be excited for tonight. I am. Guardians of the Galaxy. Volume 2. Saw the first one. Was it three years ago that it came out already? 2014, yeah. And I think I went to the, uh, can I call it the cheap theater? Sure. Yeah, we went to the cheap theater to see it. Okay. So it was on a little bit of a smaller screen. The sound was mm, average to below average. Okay. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it on an actual big screen. I think we got the, the MDX or whatever it's called. The, the D-Box? I think so. You did the D-Box tickets? I think so. Oh, this movie might actually be good for that. Because there's a lot of stuff where they're flying and they're... Yeah, yeah, now if I didn't get it, I'm going to be disappointed. But either way, I think it's in 3D, and it'll be super loud. It'll be a lot of fun, and I'm really looking, really looking forward to it because of the soundtrack. The 3D is spectacular. I'll have a review this afternoon on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham at 545, and then, of course, on the Couch Potatoes this weekend from uh, Saturday afternoon, so tomorrow at 1 o'clock, and then Sunday, again, it repeats at 4, or you can simply... 
Download the podcast at Google Play and iTunes. Do you have the Burton Cummings winners there, Greg? I don't have their names. Do I have the names? Yes, we do have their names. Uh, Kevin Weary and Kelly Barefoot. They knew that Moose Jaw, Broadview, Mooseman, Red Deer, Terrace, Hannah, and Medicine Hat are all mentioned in Running Back to Saskatoon. So they have won, beat the box office tickets for the second show. What is the day of that show, Jeff Forte and Master Control? That is on Saturday, September 23rd. Added by, due to popular demand, that second show is added. So Kevin Weary and Kelly Barefoot, congratulations. Hey, sports coming up next. If we stuffed it with any more beef or chicken, it would explode. So we added our Mexican pizza appetizer and fried ice cream. And there you have an El Grande Burro special with one small touch. I had someone tag me in a Twitter uh, post and a tweet uh, a couple of days ago. I miss this place. I think it was our good friend Jack and it was uh, just a Chi-Chi's logo. Nice. Cinco de Mayo. Happy 5th of May. Uh, that is kind of a misplaced uh, celebration. It's not even really. People think it's Mexican uh, Independence Day. I, I, I think that's incorrect. It, it's something else. I don't know what it is off the top of the head. But I will have a Corona in uh, support. <laughs> or maybe Dos Equis. I think a Dos Equis will be in order I'm later on. I'm kind of partial to Seoul. Yeah, Seoul. Not bad. I, you know what? All of the above. Hal Anderson, what's your favorite uh, Mexican beer? May the fourth be with you. Oh no, no, that was yesterday, Hal. Oh, am I a, am I a day late? You're a day late and thirteen thousand dollars short, buddy. I've been I've been drinking for over twenty four hours, so I kind of lost track. <laughs> How you doing, Hal? Why why aren't you in the studio with us, man? Well, I didn't want to say anything to Brett earlier when I was emailing with him, but uh, I am talking to you from beautiful downtown. Sandy Hook, Manitoba. Oh, of course you're at the lake. Attaboy. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not up here enjoying the lake yet. I actually I had to meet the plumber up here and get the water going, and today was the day. And as you know, uh, plumbers around this time of the year and at the end of the season, right, when everybody's shutting their cottages down, they're busy guys. So if you can get the plumber to agree to a day and time, you take it. And I'm sorry I can't be there, but I appreciate you uh, you letting me jump on by phone. Hey, always great to catch up with you, Hal. And ironically enough, uh, I know you're on Facebook. You get those yeah. uh, Facebook memory update things that, you know, three yeah. years ago today. Yes, right. Yeah. I got one today. It ties all three of us together. Okay. Oh. May 5th. 2014, here's my post. Be on the lookout for flying pigs, wind chill warnings for Hades, and other assorted natural oddities. Why, you say? I will complete the quote-unquote cycle at CGOB tomorrow when Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling team up to host Hal Anderson Mornings starting at 5 5.30 a.m. Tuesday, May 6th. Don't get too excited. As long as Hal is feeling better, he ought to be back by Wednesday. So how about that? Look at Wow. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's amazing. Memory. <laughs> like the corner of my mind. There Keep was going. a water's <laughs> colored memory. 
you know who does the singing, eh? And uh, the three big guys is—it's uh, got to be uh, Shane or Orton. It's not—it's not, it's not, it's not how. Not me, that's for sure. Yeah, it's not me. No so, kidding. are you going to be back in time yes. for your show tomorrow? Or are you going to be yes. doing oh, it like absolutely. this from Sandy Hook? Yeah. No, 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 no. Bright and early, seven a.m. tomorrow morning, and I got a big show lined up. Uh, this is interesting. I'm going to be talking with a gentleman named Stuart Brecken. He lives in Texas, but he is going to be part of an effort this summer to paint the elevators, the old grain elevators. You know, there aren't a lot of those around anymore, but he is going to be painting part of the crew that will be painting the grain elevators in Inglis, Manitoba. This is a cool uh, oh, wow. uh, effort. Yeah, and he's in Texas, so he'll tell us all about that, but he's basically coming back to Manitoba, and others will as well, to paint these elevators up in Inglis. Very cool. Doesn't Inglis um, have like a, a one of the largest still-standing collections of green elevators on the prairie, something like that? Something like that. I don't know the details. We'll get that from Stuart tomorrow. But, yeah, they've really worked hard to keep them around, right, to keep them a part of that community. And so I guess they're going to get together and paint them. They need a bit of TLC, so they'll do that this summer. We're going to talk about Chicken Fest tomorrow. My weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, of course, will join us. I am going to be at Bomber Fan Fest tomorrow. Kelly Moore will be on my show between 7 and 10 from there. And then after my show at 10, I'm going to zip over to IGF and do that. And we'll have tough trivia and winning tomorrow, so lots coming up. On Hal Anderson weekends tomorrow, 7 to 10, and then 7 to 10 again on Sunday morning. Hal, you're a tireless worker. You're a great friend. Thanks for spending some time with us this afternoon. Enjoy, quote-unquote, the lake as best you can, and uh, don't let that plumber uh, spend too much time underneath the cottage. eh? He might be having a nap under there. Yeah, well, you sometimes wonder, right? So where do you go now? You know, but uh, I don't care. As long as you've got my water going by the time i got to head home. So thank you, boys. Have a great the rest of the show. Everybody, have a great weekend. And make Hal Anderson's part of, Hal Anderson weekend's part of it, please. Thanks for uh, making uh, you uh, making yourself available part of our day today. Thanks, Hal. We'll talk to you later on. And by the way, I, I Googled Inglis. I just put Inglis, Manitoba, GR, and then it filled in the rest, Grain Elevators. There's a website, EnglisElevators.com. How many have they got? There's like four or five, I think. Well, just on the homepage, it says, oh, relive the golden age of the five prairie giants, Inglis Grain Elevators National Historic Site, internationally recognized as a unique and enduring architectural symbol of the prairies, representing one of the most important periods in the development of Canada's grain industry from 1900 to 1930. So I guess there are five of them. That's cool. It is pretty cool. How did you pull that out of the... I don't know. Out of thin air? I have no idea. I don't have a... Well... You're like Cliff Clavin. You just have so much random information it's in your head. So much of it is completely useless. How about one of my observations from last night? I was watching uh, those nasty floods on the Ottawa River and on the uh, Toronto Island, the island in Toronto, where a lot of people are getting displaced on this, the 20th anniversary of the Great Red River flood here in Manitoba. I noticed that Environment Canada has changed their name. Oh, they are now known as Environment and Climate Change Canada. This is pretty quiet, Lee. Environment and what? Climate Change Canada. Really? If you go online and you do a search for Environment Canada and you go to their main website, www.ec.gc.ca, you will go to Government of Canada sub-website, formerly known as Environment Canada, now known as Environment and Climate Change Canada. Look at that. The Government of Canada, uh, oh, where did it, is committed to the adoption of an effective climate change agreement 
at COP21 that promotes increased ambition over time. Okay, yeah. So it's part of the uh, agenda, part of the public awareness campaign, whatever you want to call it. Caught me by surprise, and uh, I'm kind of someone who uh, thinks that the more we talk about these things, the better. I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel a little dirty knowing this. You know, it's like a dirty <laughs> little secret. Environment, you're right. EC.gc.ca, Environment and Climate Change. Canada. Yeah, I mean, whether regardless of what your thoughts are on this, and, and I, I don't want to make it sound like I, I'm some sort of climate change denier, but that certainly that's comes off as as kind of agenda e for a government agency. Yeah, uh, like I said, normally I w- would disagree vehemently with you, but on this one, I think we're on the same page. It is coming up to three forty six, which means time to have a look at traffic and then weather. Up next, are we really incident free so far in traffic, Brett McGarry? Uh, sounds like it. I guess Good. it is. Oh, yeah. Complain not. I'm not on complaining. On a Friday afternoon. Pan road very slow. It's a glorious Michigan. day. Oh, yes. beautiful outside. Yeah, open the sunroof, roll down the windows. And uh, the really good news that we were celebrating earlier is the fact that starting tomorrow, construction will begin on St. James Street from Portage Avenue to Maroons Road, one lane at a time. So it ought to be done by about 2045. <laughs> yeah. Thereabouts. It'll make coming Just to work time to do it all so much fun. Again. Yeah, you know what? I don't care. Short-term pain, long-term gain, in the words of one Brett You probably McGarry. don't even use St. James. You probably nope. use Empress. See? I sure do. There you go. <laughs> you got it. You don't think there'll be some runoff? I don't know. I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm all for the better good, the bigger picture stuff. Uh, Manitoba Hydro, you've been doing some pretty... Intricate math in the newsroom. I, I can smell the smoke from here. <laughs> I tried. We let somebody else do it. Yeah. So we'll run down some of those numbers, and not all of them are going to be pleasant for most people. I know you're a fan, but no, I didn't say I was a fan. I just said it, said it was necessary and something that's long overdue because we've been uh, operating Manitoba Hydro as a political entity for far too long, and this is what happens when you politicize a crown corporation. It's not allowed to operate as a real business and we've not been investing it's also in what it happens far too when long. you decide to build a dam and uh, yeah, another line that you didn't and, need yeah, yeah that you didn't need yeah bad dumb business decision you got it hi rich <laughs> i spent some time with kelvin shepherd the president and ceo of manitoba hydro this afternoon went up to his office uh, on portage avenue asked him some of the tough questions about this, and we'll play part of that interview for you after the 4.30 news. Just after the 4 o'clock news, Gloria DeSorcy of the Consumers Association of Canada Manitoba Division joined by their lawyer, Byron Williams, on what this exactly will mean to you because a 7.9% ask, followed by another 7.9% ask, that all adds up. and it's Followed they, by another 79 They have another. done the math on this and what it means. So if you're your typical hydro consumer, and I heard you guys talking about it in the 1 o'clock hour, what that means to you. But if you heat, if you use uh, electricity to heat your home, what it means to you, especially in rural areas here in, in Winnipeg, what that all could potentially mean for you. We have the breakdown for you just after the four o'clock. And that's news. one third of all Manitobans mm-hmm. that use electricity not only for lights and cooking, but also for heating their it's homes. It's about forty percent now. Oh, really? It's about forty percent, according to uh, to Shepherd. Uh, so it, it's a it's an eye opening interview, and um, we'll also have more of it on Global Television at six tonight as they cover the story. 
And Sanford Riley, the chair of the board, will join us after six o'clock. And interesting on your comments, what you say, politicization, because successive governments, particularly new democratic governments, going back to the 70s, have used Manitoba Hydro, a crown corporation, as a public policy tool. Now, uh, you could agree or disagree. Some governments have said, yeah, that's the role of crown corporations. They should be able to do that. But the problem with Manitoba Hydro is essentially this. They're having to spend a lot of ratepayers' dollars just covering the debt, and that's not sustainable. So the whole rationale behind the increases earlier rather than later is that uh, very much like a business, you got cash coming in, but way too much cash going out. And that's the situation. And they, frankly, they blame the NDP on this. And so they should. This and, is a, a boondoggle of uh, many proportions. And I ask in the interview, have heads rolled? The people that made those predictions and uh, we'll play the answer for you. Just after the 6.30 news, if all of this has pushed you in another direction, we'll... Uh have on the co-owner of PowerTech Solar to see if hooking up solar panels to your home is perhaps the way to go. But it is a fun Friday. Brett McGarry will join us on uh, entertainment and the movies of this weekend. And Chef Ben Sherman will be in our studios to talk about Table for 1200 Ooh. That's a lot of fun. Is that this weekend? No, tickets go on sale Sunday morning. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry, Rich. No well, problem. Well, hey, what time are you doing that interview? No problem. 5.30. Yeah. No problem. It'll be a completely different audience. Ten o'clock, no ten o'clock Sunday morning. You can line up for tickets. No uh, downtown Deer and Almond. <laughs> no problem. No soup for you. No soup for you. Man. Okay. <laughs> That's Richard Cloutier. Four to seven. The news with Richard and Julie. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Jeff Forte's in Master Control. Thank you for making Mackling and McGarry a part of your week on 680 CJOB.